It was already midday when they drew near the southern end of the path and saw before them in the pale clear light of the October sun a grey-green bank leading up like a bridge on the northward slope of the hill. They decided to make for the top at once, while the daylight was broad. Concealment was no longer possible, and they could only hope that no enemy or spy was observing them. Nothing was to be seen moving on the hill. If Gandalf was anywhere about, there was no sign of him. On the western flank of Weathertop they found a sheltered hollow, at the bottom of which there was a bowl-shaped dell with grassy sides. There they left Sam and Pippin with the pony in their packs and luggage. The other three went on. After half an hour's plodding climb, Strider reached on the crown of the hill, and Frodo and Mary followed, tired and breathless. The last slope had been steep and rocky. On the top they found, as Strider had said, a wide ring of ancient stonework, now crumbling or covered with age-long grass. But in the centre, a cairn of broken stones had been piled. They were blackened as if with fire, and about them the turf was burned to the roots, and all with the, within the ring the grasses scorched and shriveled, as if flames had swept the hilltop, but there was no sign of any living thing. Standing upon the rim of the ruined circle, they saw round below them a wide prospect. For the most part, the lands were empty and featureless, except for patches of woodland way to the south, beyond which they caught there and there a glint of distant water. Beneath them on the southern side, there ran like a ribbon the old road, coming out of the west and winding up and down, until it faded behind a ridge of dark land to the east. Nothing was moving on it. Following its line eastward with their eyes, they saw the mountains. The nearer foothills were brown and sombre, and behind them stood taller shapes of grey, and behind those again were high white peaks glimmering amongst the clouds. Well, here we are, said Mary, and very cheerless and uninviting it looks. There's no water, and no shelter, and no sign of Gandalf. But I don't blame him for not waiting, if he ever came here. Hmm, I wonder, said Strider, looking round thoughtfully. Even if he was a day or two behind us at Bree, he could have arrived here first. He can ride very swiftly when he's pressed. Suddenly he stooped and looked at the stone on the top of the can. It was flatter than the others, and whiter, as if it had escaped the fire. He picked it up and examined it, turning it in his fingers. This has been handled recently, he said. What do you think of these marks? On the flat side underneath, Frodo saw some scratches. A single up-down stroke, with two diagonal strokes and a dot. Three strokes and a small dot at the bottom. There seems to be a stroke, a dot, and three more strokes, he said. The stroke on the left might be a dew rune with the thin branches, said Strider. It might be a sign left by Gandalf, though one cannot be sure. The scratches are fine, and they certainly look fresh. But the marks might mean something quite different, and have nothing to do with us. Rangers use runes, and they come here sometimes. Well, what could they mean? Even if Gandalf had made them, asked Mary. I should say, answered Strider, that they stood for G3, and they were a sign that Gandalf was here on October 3rd. That's three days ago now. It also showed that he was in a hurry and danger was at hand, so he had no time or did not dare write anything longer or plainer. If that is so, we must be wary. 
Oh, I wish we could feel sure that he had made the marks, whatever they may mean, said Frodo. It'd be a great comfort to know that he was on the way, in front of us, or behind us. Perhaps, said Strider. For myself, I believe that he was here, and was in danger. There have been scorching flames here, and now the light has come, and they can that we sorry, and now the light that we saw three nights ago in the eastern sky comes back to my mind. I guess that he was attacked on this hilltop, but with what result I cannot tell. He's here no longer, and we must now look after ourselves and make our own way to Rivendell as best as we can. How far is Rivendell? asked Mary, gazing round wearily. The world looked wild and wide from where the top. I don't know if the road's ever been measured in miles beyond the Forsaken Inn, a day's journey east of Bree, answered Strider. Some say it's so far, and some say it's otherwise. It's a strange road, and folk are glad to reach their journey's end, whether the time is short or long. But I know how long it would take me on my own feet, with fair weather and no ill fortune. Twelve days from here to Fort Bruin, where the road crosses Loudwater that runs out of Rivendell. We have at least a fortnight's journey before us, for I do not think that we'll be able to use the road. A fortnight? said Frodo. A lot may happen in that time. It may, said Strider. They stood for a while silent on the hilltop near the southward edge. In that lonely place, Frodo for the first time realised his homelessness and danger. He wished bitterly that his fortune had left him in the quiet and beloved shire. He stared down at the hateful road leading back westward to his home. Suddenly he was aware that two black specks were moving along it, along it slowly, going westward, and looking again he saw that three others were creeping eastward to meet them. He gave a cry and clutched Strider's arm. Look, he said, pointing downwards. At once Strider flung himself to the ground behind the ruined circle, pulling Frodo down beside him. Mary threw himself alongside. What is it? he whispered. I do not know, but I fear the worst, answered Strider. Slowly they crawled up to the edge of the ring again, and peered through a cleft between two jagged stones. The light was no longer bright, for the clear morning had faded, and the clouds creeping out of the east had now overtaken the sun as it began to go down. They could all see the black specks, but neither Frodo nor Mary could make out the shapes for certain. Yet something told them that there, far below, were black riders assembling on the road beyond the foot of the hill. Yes, said Strider whose keener sight left him in no doubt. The enemy is here. Hastily they crept away and slipped down the north side of the hill to find their companions. Sam and Peregrine had not been idle. They had explored the small dell and the surrounding slopes. Not far away they found a spring of clear water in the hillside, and near it footprints no more than a day or two old. The dell itself they found recent traces of a fire and other signs of a hasty camp. There were some fallen rocks on the edge of the dell nearest the hill. Behind them, Sam came upon a small store of firewood, neatly stacked. I wonder if old Gandalf has been here, he said to Pippin. Whoever has put the stuff here seems to be thinking that it'll come back sometime. Strider was greatly interested in these discoveries. I wish I had waited and explored the ground down here myself, he said, hurrying off to the spring to examine the footprints. It is as I feared, he said when he came back. Sam and Pippin have trampled the soft ground and the marks are spoiled or confused. Rangers have been here lately. It's they who left the firewood behind. But there are also several newer tracks that are not made by rangers. 
At least one set was made only a day or two ago by heavy boots. At least one. I, I cannot now be certain, but I think there are many booted feet. He paused and stood in anxious thought. Each of the hobbits saw in his mind a vision of the cloaked and booted riders. If the horsemen had already found the dell, the soonest rider led them somewhere else, the better. Sam viewed the hollow with great dislike. Now they had heard news of the enemies on the road only a few miles away. Hadn't we better clear out quick, Mr. Strider, he asked. It's getting late and I don't like this hole. It makes my heart sink somehow. Yes, we must certainly decide what to do at once, answered Strider, looking up and considering the time and the weather. Well, Sam, he said at last, I do not like this place either, but I cannot think of anywhere better that we could reach before nightfall. At least here we are out of sight for the moment, and if we moved we'd be much more likely to be seen by spies. All we could do would be to go right out of our ways back north on this side of the line of the hills, where the land is much the same as it is here. The road is watched, but we should have to cross it if we tried to take cover in the thickets away to the south. On the north side of the road beyond the hills, the country is bare and flat for miles. I mean, can the riders see? asked Mary. They seem usually to have used their noses rather than their eyes, smelling for us, if smelling is the right word, at least in daylight. But you made us lie down flat when you saw them down below, and now you talk of being seen if we move. I was too careless on the hilltop, answered Strider. I was very anxious to find some sign of Gandalf, but it was a mistake for three of us to go up and stand there so long. For the black horses can see, and the riders can use men and other creatures as spies, as we found at Bree. They themselves do not see the world as of light as we do, but our shapes cast shadows in their mind, which only the noon sun destroys, and in the dark they perceive many signs and forms that are hidden from us. Then they are most to be feared. And at all times they smell the blood of living things, desiring it and hating it. Senses, too, are there other than sight and smell. We can feel their presence. It troubled our hearts as soon as we came here. And before we saw them, they feel ours more keenly. Also, he added, his voice sinking to a whisper, the ring draws them. Is there no escape then? asked Frodo, looking round wildly. If I move, I shall be seen and hunted. If I stay, I draw them to me. Strider laid his hand on his shoulder. There is hope. You are not alone. Let us take this wood that is set ready for a fire as a sign. There is a little shelter and very little defence here, but the fire shall serve for both. Sauron could put his fire to his evil uses as he can all things, but these riders do not love it and fear those who wield it. Fire is our friend in the wilderness. Hmm, maybe, muttered Sam. It is also a good way of saying, here we are. As bad as saying, here we are, in a bar, shouting. Down in the lowest and most sheltered corner of the dell, they lit a fire and prepared the meal. The shades of evening began to fall and it grew cold. They were suddenly aware of great hunger, for they had not been eating anything since breakfast but they did not make anything more than a frugal supper. The lands ahead were empty of all save birds and beasts, and friendly places deserted by all the races of the world. Rangers passed at times beyond the hills, but there were few and did not stay. Other wanderers were rare, and of an evil sort. Trolls might stray down at times out of the northern valleys of the Misty Mountains. 
Only on the road would travellers be found, most often dwarves hurrying along on business of their own, and with no help and few words to spare for strangers. I don't see how our food can be made to last, said Frodo. We've been careful enough in the last few days, and this supper is no feast, but we've used more than we ought, if, if we have two weeks still to go, and perhaps more. There is food in the wild, said Strider. Berry, root, and herb, and I have some skill as a hunter at need. You need not be afraid of starving before winter comes. But gathering and catching food is a long and weary work, and we need to haste. So tighten your belts and think with hope of the tables of Alron's house. The cold increased as darkness came on. Peering out from the edge of the dell, I could see nothing but a grey land now vanishing quickly into shadow. The sky above had cleared again and it was slowly filled with twinkling stars. Frodo and his companions huddled around the fire, wrapped in every garment and blanket they possessed. But Strider was content with a single cloak and sat a little apart, drawing thoughtfully at his pipe. As night fell and the light of the fire began to shine out brightly, he began to tell them tales to keep their minds from fear. He knew many stories and histories and legends of long ago, of elves and men and good and evil deeds of the older days. They wondered how old he was and where he had learnt all this lore. Tell us of Gilgalad, said Mary suddenly, when he paused at the end of the story of the elf kingdoms. Do you know any more of that old lay that you spoke of? I do indeed, answered Strider, and so does Frodo, for it concerns us closely. Mary and Pippin looked at Frodo, who was staring into the fire. I only know the little that Gandalf has told me, said Frodo. Gilgalad was the last of the great Gulf kings of Middle-earth. Gilgalad is starlight in their tongue. With Alindal, the elf friend, he went to the land of... No! said Strider, interrupting suddenly. I do not think that that tale should now be told with the servants of the enemy at hand. If we win through to the house of Elrond, you may hear it there, and told in full. Oh, then let us hear some other tale of the old days, begged Sam. A tale about the elves before the fading time. I would dearly like to hear more about elves. The dark seems to press so close. Well... Then I will tell you of Tinevale, said Strider. In brief, for it is a long tale, for which the end is not known, and there are none now except Elrond that remember it all right, as it was told of old. It is a fair tale, though it is sad, as are all the tales of Middle-earth, and yet it may lift up your hearts. He was silent for some time, and then he began not to speak so much as chant softly. The leaves were long, the grass was green, the hemlock umbles tall and fair, and in the glade alight the scene of stars and shadows shimmering. Tinevel was dancing there, to music of a pipe unseen, and light of stars was in her hair and in her raiment glimmering. There Beren came from mountains cold, and lost he wandered under leaves, and where the elven rivet rolled, he walked along and sorrowing. He peered between the hemlock leaves, and saw in wonder flowers of gold, upon her mantle and her sleeves, and her hair like shadow following. Enchantment healed his weary feet, that over hills were doomed to roam, and forth he hastened strong and fleet, and grasped at moonbeams moon glistening. Through woven of woods and elven home, she lightly fled on dancing feet. 
and left him lonely still to roam in the silent forests listening. He heard there oft of the flying sound of feet as light as linden leaves, or music welling underground in hidden hollows quavering. Now withered laying the hemlock sheaves, and one by one with sighing sound, whispering fell the beechen leaves, and the wintry woodland wavering. He sought her ever wandering far, where leaves of years were thickly strewn, by light of moon and ray of star, and frosty hebering shivering. Her mantle glinted in the moon, as on a hilltop high and far. She danced, and at her feet was strewn, a mist of silver quivering. When winter passed, she came again, and her song released the sudden spring. Like rising lark and falling rain, and mountain, mount of water bubbling. He saw the elven flowers spring about her feet and healed again. He longed by her to dance and sing upon the grass untroubling. Again she fled, but swift she came. Tinevel, Tinevel. He called her by her elfish name, and there she halted, listening. One moment stood she, and a spell his voice laid upon her, wherein came. A doom fell on Tinevel, that in his arms lay glistening. As Beren looked into her eyes within the shadows of her hair, the trembling starlight of the skies, he saw their mirrored shimmering. Tinevel, the elven fair, immortal maiden, elven wise, about him cast her shadowy hair and arms like silver glimmering. Long was the way that fate then bore, o'er stony mountains cold and grey, through halls of iron and darkening bore, darkening door, and woods of shadow night moralless. The sundering seas between them lay, yet at last they met once more, and long ago they passed away, in the forest, singing sorrowless. Stride aside and poured before he, paused before he spoke again. That, that is the song in the mode that is called Anthonath amongst the elves. It's hard to render in our common speech, and this is but a rough echo of it. It tells of Beren, a mortal man, but Luthien was the daughter of Thingol, a king of elves upon Middle-earth when the world was young, and she was the fairest maiden that was ever among all the children of this world. As the stars above the mists of the northern lands was her loveliness, and in her face was a shining light. In those days, the great enemy, of whom Sauron of Mordor was but just a servant, dwelt in Angban in the north, and the elves of the west came back to Middle-earth to make war upon him to regain the Cimmerals which he had stolen, and the fathers of men aided by elves. But the enemy was victorious, and Baraha was slain, and Beren escaping through the great peril came to the mountains of terror in the hidden kingdom of Thingol in the forest of Naldareth. There he beheld Luthien singing and dancing in a glade behind and beside the enchanted river Azalgun. And he named her Tinevel, that is, Nightingale, in the language of old. Many sorrows befell them afterwards, and they were parted for a long time. Tinevel rescued Beren from the dangers of Sauron, and together they passed through great dangers, and cast down even the great enemy from his throne, and took from his iron crown one of the three Cimmerals, brightest of all jewels, to be the bride price of Luthien to Thingol her father. 
Yet at last Viren was slain by the wolf that came by the gates of Angvard, and he died in the arms of Tinevel. She chose mortality, and to die from the world, so that she might follow him. And it is sung that they met again beyond the sundering seas, and after a brief time walked alive once more in the green woods. Together they passed long ago beyond the confines of this world. So it is that Luthien Tinebel, alone of the elf kindred, has died indeed and left the world, and they have lost her whom they most loved. But from her the lineage of the elf lords of old descended amongst men. There live still those of whom Luthien was the foremother, and it is said that her line will never fail. Elrond of Rivendell is of her kin, for of Beren and Luthien was born Deorthingal's heir, and of him Elwing the White, whom Arendelle wedded. He that sailed his ship out of the mists of the world into the seas of heaven with Cimmeril upon his brow. And of Arendelle came the kings of Numenor, that is, Westerness. As Strider spoke, they watched his strange, eager face, dimly lit in the red glow of the wood fire. His eyes shone and his voice was rich and deep. Above him was a black starry sky. Suddenly a pale light appeared over the crown of Weathertop behind him. The waxing moon was climbing slowly above the hill and overshadowed them, and the stars above the hilltop faded. The story ended. The hobbits moved and stretched. Look, said Mary, the moon is rising. It must be getting late. The others looked up. Even as they did so, they saw on the top of the hill something small and dark against the glimmer of the moonrise. It was perhaps only a large stone or a jutting rock, shown up by the pale light. Sam and Mary got up and walked away from the fire. Frodo and Pippin remained seated in silence. Strider was watching the moonlight on the hill intently. All seemed quiet and still, but Frodo felt a cold dread sweeping over his heart now that Strider was no longer speaking. He huddled closer to the fire. At that moment, Sam came running back from the edge of the dell. I don't know what it is, he said, but I suddenly felt afraid. I durst go outside this dwell for any money. I feel, I, I felt, I, something's creeping up the slope. Did you see anything? asked Frodo, springing to his feet. No, sir, I saw nothing, but I didn't stop to look. I saw something, said Mary, or I thought I did. Away westward, where the moonlight was falling on the flats beyond the shadow of the hilltops, I thought there were two or three black shapes. They seemed to be moving this way. Keep close to the fire. With your faces outward, cried Strider. Get some of the longer sticks ready. Hold them in your hands. For a breathless time they sat there, silent and alert, with their backs turned to the wood fire, each gazing into the shadows that encircled them. Nothing happened. There's no sound, no movement in the night. Frodo stirred, feeling that he must break the silence. He longed to shout out. Hush, whispered Strider. What's that? Pippin gasped at the same moment. Over the lip of the dell on the side away from the hill they felt, rather than the saw, a shadow rise, one shadow more than, or more than one. They strained their eyes, and the shadows seemed to grow. Soon there'd be no doubt, three or four tall black figures were standing there on the slope, looking down on them. So black were they that they seemed like black holes in the deep shade beside them. Frodo thought that he heard a faint hiss of venomous breath and felt a thin piercing chill. Then the shapes slowly advanced. Terror overcame Pippin and Mary, and they threw themselves flat on the ground. 
Sam shrank to Frodo's side. Frodo was hardly less terrified than his companions. He was quaking as if he was bitter cold, but his terror was swallowed up by a sudden temptation to put on the ring. His desire to do this laid hold of him, and he could think of nothing else. He did not forget the barrow, nor the message of Gandalf, but something seemed to be compelling him to disregard these warnings, and he longed to yield. Not with the hope of escape, or of doing anything, either good or bad, he just felt that he must take the ring and put it on his finger. He could not speak. He felt Sam looking at him, as if he knew his master was in some great trouble, but he could not turn towards him. He shut his eyes and struggled for a while. But resistance became unbearable, and at last he slowly drew out the chain and slipped the ring on the forefinger of his left hand. Immediately, though everything else became, remained as before, dim and dark, the shapes became terribly clear. He was able to see beneath their black wrappings. There were five tall figures, two standing on the lip of the dell, three advancing. In their white faces burned keen and merciless eyes, under their mantles were long grey robes, upon their grey hairs were helms of silver, silver and in their haggard hands were swords of steel the eyes fell on him and pierced him and they rushed towards him desperate he drew his own sword and it seemed to him that it flickered red as if it was a firebrand two of the figures halted the third was taller than the other his hair was long and gleaming and on his helm was a crown on one hand he held a long sword and the other a knife both the knife and the hand glowed with a pale light he sprang forward and bore down on frodo at that moment, Frodo threw himself forward on the ground and heard himself cry out, Oh, Elbereth, Githolianiel! At that same time, he struck at his feet with the enemy. A shrill cry rang out in the night, and he felt the pain like the dart of a poison ice spear pierce his left shoulder. Even as he swooned, he caught as through a swirling mist, a glimpse of Strider leaping out of the darkness with a flaming brand of wood on either hand. With a last effort, Frodo, dropping his sword, slipped the ring from his finger and closed his hand right tight upon it.